good to see everyone today. Uh, my name is Ray Sean. Uh, some of you all who don't know me uh, around here, I, 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 I'm one of the leaders of the Glen Allen Community Group. Um, praise God. Today we'll just be uh, continuing a sermon series on the Sermon of the Mount. Um, we're in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Uh, and as you know, we've subtitled this series Gospel Cardiology. Uh, simply because ultimately this is what Jesus is after in this entire uh, sermon, sermon that he's preaching. He's after our hearts, the motivation of our hearts, the disposition of our hearts. Are they turned towards God? Are they turned towards uh, ourselves or, or hypocritical and external forms of righteousness? Or, or are they turned towards God? Are our affections turned towards God? And so today we're looking at Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 19 through 24, and what Jesus is going to talk about in this passage is that um, he's going to talk about our relationship with our wealth and our possessions. Uh, just in the, in the previous sermons, as you know, Ryan Burns talked about giving and prayer and fasting and, and talking about the, those things that we see as, as parts of the Christian life, uh, our giving, our prayer, and our fasting, and how those things are to be uh, generated from the heart, generated with a heart towards God and a heart that seeks God and loves God and is devoted towards God and how Christ ultimately enables us to, to do these things with a, with a pure heart um, and, and so that we don't do these things with a, a corrupted and sinful and selfish heart. And Jesus is going to hit on the, sort of the same thing in this passage in our relationship with money uh, and, and wealth. Um, he uses a word at the end of verse 24 uh, called mammon, and, and that word is a, a personification of, of wealth and possessions. And so Jesus is going to talk about that, and God cares very much about uh, our wealth and our, our possessions, not, not, so, not so much of the fact that oh, he automatically wants to, to give you all of these things all of the time, but particularly what we do with these things and our relationship to these things. Um, just to bring everybody in the room, uh, Jesus is talking to, when he's talking about our wealth and our possessions, he's talking to everybody in here. Uh, within our context, we live in the United States of America. Uh, we're, we're a wealthy nation. We've all been blessed. We've all been given wonderful opportunities. And uh, whether we know it or not, or, or believe it or not, we, we are the wealthy that, that Jesus is addressing who, who have the wealth and the possessions. Because in comparison to, to many of the other nations in the world, we we don't have to worry about some of the other things such as in poverty or, or, or lack or, or things like that. So uh, just to bring everybody in the room and, and addressing who Jesus is talking to, you may say, well, I'm not the wealthy or, 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 or I'm not, you know, I don't have a, a ton of possessions. We, we have that. But based on living in this country, we, we are well off uh, more than a lot of the rest of the world. And uh, we should honestly thank God for that and hear the words of Jesus as he addresses what our relationship is to be with these things. So before we get started, I'm just going to go ahead and pray, pray for our time and that we would just, just hear and receive God's word. Father, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for your grace in bringing us, uh, just gathering us here today. Uh, we ask, Lord God, that, that by your Holy Spirit that you would open up our, our hearts and open up our ears so that we would receive uh, what you would have for us to receive, that you would convict our hearts of, of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, that you would ultimately be exalted in showing uh, yourself, Lord Jesus, as being the only one who could fulfill this message that you preached and that we need your righteousness, Lord God, in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Help us to realize this, probe our hearts, help us to, to ask ourselves questions and, and be honest with ourselves. We just give you the glory for this. We ask that you would speak and not me, and that it would be your thoughts and your words that go forth and not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see money and stuff as being 
two of the biggest things that are promoted in our society. Without one, you can't have the other. And, and so we see these things. If, if mammon were to be this religion, so to speak, I wonder how many followers it would have. Because money and stuff seem to be constantly promoted through, through media, through, through television, through all kinds of things. It's, it's you've got to have stuff, and then you've got to have money to get stuff. And so as a result, we, we, we go about in our lives thinking about our jobs and thinking about the, the money that we have or don't have or the stuff that we have or don't have, seeking to find fulfillment from these things. And so what Jesus wants to do is he wants to talk to, talk to our hearts this morning and probe our hearts to see the motivations of, of our relationship with our, with our wealth and possessions. And just some context. Jesus is believed to be responding to the Pharisees who, all throughout this sermon, who would teach these things and who would give this interpretation of the law and, and God's will and God's requirements. And so when it came to money and when it came to wealth, the Pharisees had this, this weird and bent interpretation on, on wealth that they believed how much wealth a person had equaled how righteous they were. They believe that, saying that, God, because I'm so righteous, you've given me this wealth and you've given me this stuff. Righteousness equaled wealth. And if, on the contrary, they also believe that if you didn't have this, this wealth, then that means that God was rejecting you, that you weren't righteous. And so Jesus wanted to, to address this sort of, this mindset, because ultimately the mindset that said wealth equals righteousness as a result, these Pharisees and those who believed the teaching would have this reaction that says, well, I've got to get more wealth. Because if wealth equals righteousness, then I've got to get rich or die trying. I've got to get money and I've got to get it now. I've got to get possessions and get it now because that means that God accepts me. And as a result, Jesus wants to address and, and, and show us the proper relationship that we're to have with wealth. That we're to seek, seek God who is the giver and, and not the gifts. And, and we're to seek God and put our trust and our hope in him and not in our riches or our wealth or our possessions. And so just kind of outlining, outlining where we're going this morning, just the three things that I'm going to hit on in this passage are, are starting for, with servanthood. And then storage. And then sight. And I'm just going to read and talk and read and talk. But before we, before we go ahead through this, I'll, I'll read the passage. It says... Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness." No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. So immediately starting, we're just going to jump into to servanthood. Starting with verse 24, what Jesus says, that no man can serve two masters, for he, he will either hate the one and love the other, he'll, he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. I'm starting with start servanthood. You may say, why start here? I'm starting with this verse because it's, it's the hinge that goes between this passage and the next passage. Verses 25 through 34, it, it, it starts off as therefore, and so it automatically links to verse 24. And Jesus concludes what he says in, in verses 19 through 20, 23 with verse 24 by saying that no man can serve two masters. I think if we, could, if we could put verse 24 at the beginning of this passage, then everything after that would serve as this explanation of what it means to serve one master or the other, either God or mammon. And so when we look at this verse, 
verse 24, like I said, it serves as the hinge in, in, between, the two, in the, between the two passages of what it means to either serve God or serve mammon. And when we look at this entire passage from verses 19 through 24 and then verses 25 through, through 34, we see that Jesus is addressing two sides of a, of a problem, but he wants to address the same heart situation. To those in verses 19 through 24, he's, he's, it seems like his frame of mind is that he's talking to those who have, who have possessions, who have wealth. And he's encouraging them to have the right relationship with wealth. And in the verses 25 through 34, he's, he's talking to those who, who just don't have enough. Those who, who, who are seeking to have those possessions, who are seeking to, and worrying about their life and their status and what they're going to eat and what they're going to drink and what they're going to wear. And he's, and he's addressing the same heart problem in our relationship to wealth, whether we have it or we don't. But we're going to focus today on verses 19 through 24 and just talk about what Jesus is saying here. And he starts off with servanthood. And ultimately, the first thing he does is he brings this, this idea or this concept that we haven't seen all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. He said that we're salt. He said that we're light. But now he says we're servants or we're slaves. It's a, it's a radical transition. He says that no man can serve two masters. It's like Jesus brings everybody, everyone who's ever lived and everyone who will ever live into this category of being servants or slaves. It's like, wait, 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 Jesus. And so we'll just let him explain. See, he brings everyone and says, no man can serve two masters. And at the end of the verse, uh, verse 24, he, he categorizes and he says who those two masters are. They're either God or they're mammon. So all of us in here, those who he's talking to, we are, we're classified in either, either one or two masters, or one or, or the other, God or mammon. We're either serving God or we're serving mammon. And like I said previously, mammon is this personification of, of riches and stuff and wealth. And we're either serving God and, and devoted to him or we're serving mammon and we're devoted to it. So he introduces this idea or, or concept of, of, of slavery and servanthood. And so the application for us is to know that you are owned. You are owned one way or the other, God or mammon. Either God will own you or mammon will. We're always servants. The next thing Jesus sees in this verse, in verse 24, is that he, he explains the implications of this servanthood. See, this servanthood is, isn't, isn't, uh, isn't unwill, unwilling, and we're just kicking and screaming against our master, and we don't want to serve him, and we're just kind of revolting against him, and we wish we could be free. But no, we love this service. It's willful. We enjoy it. We enjoy pleasing our master, either God or mammon. We see that when he says that for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. See, there's either love and devotion for one master, or there's, there's hate and indifference for the other master. The service that we are in, in, employ, enslaved to is, is a willful service. We don't want to break free. The next thing that Jesus talks about is the impossibility of this, of this dual service. He says that no man can serve two masters. It's impossible. Then at, at verse, in verse 24, he concludes, you cannot serve God and money. It's impossible. It's impossible to serve two masters in the same way that it's impossible to walk down two contrary roads or drive down two different sides of the highway. You can't do it because of the nature of this, of this slavery and the fact that one, when one master owns you, he owns all of you. You can't serve to another master. This isn't employment. This isn't, this isn't God employing you part-time and your mammon and your possessions employing you the other half of the time. This isn't employment. This is service that God owns us. 
And our service, our service is willful in that we are either loving and devoted to our master and despising and hating the other one, or, we're, or, or, or that's, that's what it is. So Jesus talks about the, 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 the idea of this servanthood, the implications of it, and the impossibility of it. And so you may say, wait, wait, wait. You said Jesus is saying now that, that we are owned. Well, you're saying to be owned by my money or owned by my possessions? I make money. I don't, I don't own. I, don't, I own my possessions. Money doesn't own me. I make money. I tell money what to do. I, I, t- I get my possessions. I own them. They don't control me. So what does it look like? We can understand the concept of what it looks like to serve God and be devoted to God. But to serve money, what does that mean? Well, if what Jesus is saying here is that if we use or we see our money or stuff as a mean to attain our ultimate satisfaction, then we're in service to it. If we're using our money or our stuff or our possessions as a way to, to achieve and pursue this ultimate joy and ultimate fulfillment and to find our identity in it, we're in service to it. It's not in service to us. You see, it, if, we had, if we could establish the two and put God over here and mammon over here, both are calling out. God says, come to me, all you are weary and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my, my burden is easy and my yoke is light, and you will find rest for your souls. Come to me, everyone who thirsts. He says, it says, in his presence there is fullness of joy. At his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. If you come to me, I'll, you will find fulfillment. You will find joy. You will find satisfaction. Mammon over here says the same thing. Come to me. You'll have, you'll have joy. You'll have fulfillment. You'll have satisfaction. You'll have peace. Just, just come on. Do what I say. Go pursue money. Pursue this possession. You'll get it. You'll find that joy. You'll, you'll find that satisfaction. They're saying the same thing. And when we run towards mammon, when we run towards our stuff, towards our money, looking to find that fulfillment, looking to find that satisfaction that, that only God can ultimately fulfill, then we're in service to it. We're enslaved to it. And ultimately, if, we, if we're honest with ourselves, we could blame it on stuff. We could blame it on uh, gadgets and, and dresses and, and, and suits and, and whatever those type of stuff that we like, but those things are neutral ultimately. We can use those things for, for, or for, we can be enslaved to them, or we can have the proper perspective, which is what Jesus is going to get to in this passage. If we're honest with ourselves, it's really our hearts that promise those empty promises when they tell us to pursue those things. It's really the deceitfulness of our hearts that say, if you go ahead and pursue that possession, you'll find joy in it. If you pursue that relationship, if you treasure up, if you treasure that, that, that thing or that, this money or that career, you'll find that fulfillment. It's really our, our deceitful and, and wicked hearts, as Jeremiah chapter 17 says, 10, 10, 17 says, that pursues those things. So this servanthood of mammon is, is synonymous. It's, it's synonymous with worship. We see that it's, Jesus is using the terms of servanthood and, and slavery, but it's, it's synonymous with, with worship, with giving love and adoration and devotion to something. It's worship. Yeah, it's slavery, like Jesus says, and it's, it's servanthood, but ultimately it's worship. It's spending our time, our resources, our efforts in seeking to, to worship and give something love and adoration because of what it promises in return. And Jesus knows what he's talking about here. He knows that our hearts are prone to, to follow after mammon, to follow after things and stuff and to rely on these things and to be enslaved to them. 
He knows exactly what we're talking about. He was tempted in the same way that we were, yet he was without sin. Just before he even preached this sermon in Matthew chapter 4, if you want to turn in, in most of your Bibles, it's just a page over Matthew chapter 4, verses 8. He, Jesus was in the wilderness prior to preaching the sermon and beginning his ministry. He was in the wilderness for 40 days. He was praying and fasting, and it says the Spirit of God led him there to be tempted by the devil. And, and when verse 8 comes around, it says, that again, this was the second temptation of Jesus. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted, to be tempted to serve this, this God of mammon, this God of, of, of having glory and honor and wealth and stuff to find, to try to find fulfillment with it. But Jesus was tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. See, mammon, it brings us to that high mountain. It, brings, it shows you exactly what you want and promises, fulfillment and, and honor and status and wealth and joy and peace. If you just fall down and worship me. But Jesus is going to, to, to give the proper response, and it is only through him that we can have the proper response. And having a new heart to be able to respond like he responds in, in verse 10. It says, Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and only him should you serve. So the question for us this morning as we, we look at verse 24 is, Which master do you serve? And ultimately, you you know, you're you're thinking about that question, a a better question to ask yourself was, what has my love and has my devotion? What am I seeking to find ultimate and and total joy and fulfillment in? What has my love and my devotion? Because on the the contrary, on the other side of it, the other master has our our hate and our indifference and, and, and our despising. So this morning, if, if you say Christ is your master and he has your love and he has your devotion, or even if you're just wrestling with these, these, that, that previous question of uh, maybe I serve mammon, maybe I find my ultimate joy in, in something else other than God. Let's hear the words of Jesus and what he says about what our proper relationship with our wealth and possessions is to be. And so he'll, he'll explain this through the next two passages, what one, one talking about storage and, and the other talking about sight. Verses 19 through 21, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." We notice that Jesus begins this passage in the same way that he begun giving prayer and fasting. He tells us what not to do first. And before we jump into that and seeing what Jesus tells us what not to do first and storing up treasures on the earth, we want to see what Jesus is, is not saying here is that he's, he's not against savings accounts. Jesus is not against uh, investments or, or job promotions that give you raises. He's not against you providing for your family. And on the other side, Jesus is not against, he's not, he's not saying that all, all Christians, all the who follow him need to be poor. He's not saying that we need to just throw ourselves into poverty in order to just avoid all the uh, accumulating treasures on the earth. In 1 Timothy, uh, a verse that we're going to look at, uh, in 1 Timothy 6, he tells us that, that God, he, he richly provides us, he provides us with all things to enjoy. God is ultimately the giver of all things that we have, and he wants us to be able to enjoy those things with the proper perspective. 
And this is why Jesus is telling us that we need to have the right relationship with these things. We need to have our hearts transformed if we're going to use these things and view these things properly. So that's what Jesus isn't saying in this passage. What, what, what is Jesus actually saying? Well, let's see. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. What, what are, well, first of all, what, what are treasures? What are, what are treasures on earth? What, what are these treasures? Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, one, of the, one of the great preachers over the last 100 years who, who, who did an excellent job in just breaking down this entire Sermon on the Mount, says that, that treasures is an all-inclusive term. We know that Jesus' main idea as he's talking is talking about wealth and possessions, but Lloyd-Jones goes a little further than that when he says treasures is, is an all-inclusive idea. He says no matter what it is, no matter how big it is or how small it is, if it is everything to you, that is your treasure. That is the thing for which you are living. Treasures are whatever we are living for that we are seeking to find total fulfillment in. It's not simply your money or possessions, although this is what, what Jesus is focused on in this passage, but the application extends to all. Whether you have, it or have money or possessions or don't, treasure is anything that you are seeking to find that total fulfillment in in this life. It could be money. It could be possessions. It could be uh, careers. It could be, it could be status. It could be honor. It could be your house. It could be uh, a relative. It could be a, a spouse. It could be a child. It's whatever we confine our ambitions and hopes to in this life. These are our treasures that are in this life, that we seek to find total satisfaction and ultimate fulfillment in this life on this earth with these treasures. So therefore, we, we lay up these treasures. We store them up. And Jesus tells us what, what this looks like. How do you lay up treasures on earth? How do you store up treasures on earth? Well, Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 31 gives a great explanation of what this is, of what it looks like to store up treasures on earth. And Jesus addressed this topic of what we are to do with our wealth and our possessions all throughout the Gospels, and he addresses it well. And this is an example that he gives in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 31, of what it looks like to store up treasures on earth. What was happening was someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Verse 15, it says, And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you've made ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This is an example of, of what it looks like to, to store up treasures for ourselves. Ultimately, as, as, as verse 21 says, that, that laying up treasures on the earth, laying up treasures on the earth is ultimately laying up treasures for ourselves with our own selfish ambition and with our own selfish end in mind. It's accumulating things, putting up things, seeking to go after and pursue things for our satisfaction and, and storing them up. Laying up treasures on the earth, it looks, they look for fulfillment in what we can have. And they look for security in what we can have. 
this rich fool, he, he stores up stuff in these barns, and he stores up everything, and he, he looks at everything, and he, he takes a good look at it. Maybe he takes an Instagram picture of it and, and says, that looks real good. That looks real nice. We did a good job, so, so we made it. We accomplished it. Let's just, let's just chill tonight. Let's just, let's just take it easy. Let's get some grain out of the barn. Let's, let's put the grill on, and let's just, let's just kick back. We've done it. Provisions for the day, tomorrow, the next day, we're good. I told you you could do it, soul. Now you've got that satisfaction. This is what he was doing. He was, he was laying up treasures for, for his own security and for his own fulfillment. We do the same thing when we, when we lay up treasures, whether, what, no matter what they are, those things that we treasure, job, money, possessions. When we try to find those fulfillment in those things, relationships, anything, we store up, we store up, we store up. I'm good, I'm good, everything's, everything's great. Everything, I'm satisfied, I'm, I feel good. So relaxed, you got it, you got it. We ultimately lay up treasures for ourselves. The next thing is we ultimately lay up, lay up treasures for ourselves because we do not want to trust in the Lord for what Jesus says prior to this passage, daily bread. See, this guy in this passage, he, he was storing up everything for provisions for many years. Jesus says in, in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, and he says, do, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own self. Sufficient for the day is its own, is its own trouble. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow, for, because if you're depending on God, he's going to provide for you. That's next sermon, but, but our souls say the same thing. Mammon says the same thing. Don't worry about tomorrow. When we, when we accumulate and we store up treasures on earth, we're saying, don't, let's, I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. My satisfaction is good for them. I'm not, I'm not worried about tomorrow. And ultimately, that results in not trusting God for daily bread. That says, God, I, I got daily bread. I, I don't need you to provide for me today. I've got provision over here. I'm, I'm good. And ultimately, what we see is that that. This man's treasure was eventually taken from him. And so Jesus, uh, another, uh, before I move on, uh, another thing that I thought about in preparing this was, was, was rather interesting. I, some of these things just, just things just come up in your subconscious while you're, while you're reading Scripture. And another example of this that, that I thought was a, a great way to, to, to try to illustrate this was uh, I grew up in, in between the 80s and 90s. Uh, many of you in here, the same thing. And you can remember with me uh, a certain cartoon character, Scrooge McDuck. Scrooge McDuck, and he had, his, he had his nephews, Huey, Dewey, and Louie from, from DuckTales. And Scrooge McDuck, was, was, he had this, this, this gigantic vault. He had this huge mansion. He had this gigantic vault in his house. And Huey, Dewey, and Louie would come over and play. And they, they would go off and be playing and, and just doing what they were doing. And, and Scrooge would say, you know what? It's time for my daily swim. And Scrooge would go into this vault with all the possessions, all his just money stacked up. He was some sort of quintillionaire or something, and he would try to see how many times a billion dollars could wrap around the earth and things like that. And he would just waste his time and spend his time counting his money and treasuring and accumulating money. He had dump trucks bring it into his vault and store up, and he would go on the diving board in, in, his, in, in his spare time, and he'd put on his swimsuit and say, it's time for the daily swim, and rub his hands together and jump in. And he would just swim in that money. He would just enjoy it. He would just, he would just, just count it, and, and he would backstroke in it. He would, he would just do all kinds, just swim in that money. This is what we do when we are accumulating and storing up churches. We take that fulfillment that we find in something, we just swim in it. 
We're like Scrooge. At the end of it, we're just knocking our ears to try to get the, get the rest out, but just, enjoy, just enjoying it, seeking to find fulfillment and enslaved to it. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta enjoy it. We gotta go after it. That was just a, an illustration that just kind of came up in my subconscious as I was thinking about it. I just, I know I had to mention it and it's what we do when we store up treasure. So ultimately, treasures on earth is, is accumulation for satisfaction. Now, Jesus continues to talk about treasures on earth when he, when he describes not so much what our treasures are, because ultimately Jesus knows all men. He, he's, he knows you. He knows me. He knows the things that I treasure up. He knows the things that you treasure up. We can't get ourselves off the hook by saying, well, I don't treasure up money because I don't have a lot. Or I, I don't treasure up money because I have a hold on my money. I, I do well with my finances. I don't treasure up possessions because I, I, I'm good with my possessions. And it, maybe you treasure up relationships. Maybe you treasure up your house. Maybe you treasure up your, your, your car, your job. Or Jesus knows what we treasure. And it's ultimately, he doesn't spend much time focusing on what your treasure, are, what your treasure is, but he, he does talk about where it is in describing that treasures on earth. And he continues in, in Matthew chapter 6 by saying, uh, where moth and rust destroy. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Because of just the nature of the earth, our treasures are temporary and our treasures are vulnerable. Moth and, moths and rust can destroy them and, and thieves can, can break in and, and take them. In this day, many, their treasures, many, of the, many times their treasures were clothes and their treasures were grain like this rich fool and so moths would break in and they would, they would eat, the, eat the clothing after they sit and set inside these treasuries and, and rats would come in and eat the grain and after they set inside this, this treasury this, or this bigger barn that this, this rich fool had. It's the same way if we treasure things in this life. They're subjected to the same things. They're temporary. They're passing. They're perishable. We lose interest in them and they just lose interest altogether. They rot. They break. They, they end up being destroyed and they're vulnerable. They're accessible. They're able to be stolen. They're able to be taken. They're able to be broken. They're able to be uh, uh, repossessed or turned into a a greater version or, or just all types of things. They're temporary and they're vulnerable. The treasures we store in this life are unfulfilling. They're passing and they're perishable. They're they're unsecured and accessible. And so Jesus tells us that, that when we're, when we're thinking about storing up treasures on earth, when we store up treasures on earth, know that those things will pass away, that one day we will have to stand before God and those things will not be present. But our relationship with those things we will be judged by. So Jesus goes on and, and, and continuing in the verse, and he says, but, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He starts off telling us not what not to do, but then he, he admonishes us and he exhorts us in telling us what to do. He gives a, a positive command concerning what we're to do instead. And so he says, uh, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He contrasts treasures on earth with treasures in heaven. And what are treasures in heaven? Well, Jesus explains this in, in, in many of his other teachings, but the, the Apostle Paul, when he's writing to Timothy, gives a great example of, of what this means, what it means to store up treasures in heaven. 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19. Paul gives a great illustration of what it looks like to store up treasures in heaven. 
for those who, who have been blessed with, with wealth, with possessions, with the opportunity to even pursue more or, or receive more of those things. He says in 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Kind of goes back to what Jesus is saying about our treasures on earth, that they're, they're uncertain, they're temporary, and they're vulnerable. But he says, but the, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They're to do good to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So what does it mean to store up treasures in heaven? Well, first of all, it means to, to, to view riches in such a way that it shows that our hope is in God. You see, when, we're, when, we're, when our hope is in the uncertainty of riches, we're, a con- we're constantly accumulating because our riches can be taken, they can be lost, they can diminish. And therefore, we're constantly accumulating because our hope is set in those things. But when our hope is set in God, the view and the perspective on our riches changes. When our hope and our value is set in God, the view of our riches is a view of anything else. And we're not looking to it for satisfaction. We're not looking to it for fulfillment. And therefore, we can use those things in such a way to show that God is our hope, that God is our treasure. So to put our hope in God and use our money and possessions in such a way that it shows that our hope is in God. And the second thing is, is that what storing up treasures in heaven looks like is it's, it's generosity. Paul continues, says that, that God richly provides us with all things and everything to enjoy, and they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So storing up treasure in heaven, it looks like this. It's, it's doing good. It's, it's being rich in good works, being generous and ready to share. It's generous because our hope isn't set in accumulating riches and accumulating wealth and accumulating what we can, the satisfaction in earthly things. We can be generous to others. We can see those and have the proper perspective in looking on those who don't have and point them to, to our hope, point them to ultimate satisfaction. Through our generosity, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, so that men see our good works and glorify God in heaven. We can be generous because our our treasures, we're not enslaved to them. They do not have a hold on us. And ultimately, these these treasures, we're not being generous. We're not doing good works for the purpose of of, of earning salvation. Many times, this this is what this treasures passage in Matthew chapter 6 talks about when people interpret it. They say, oh, this this is either, this is earning your salvation or or this is this bank account in heaven where you just keep depositing in it and good good deeds and good points with God so you can just draw out this deposit or just draw out this, this withdrawal from it or something. That's not what Jesus is saying. Our treasure, our storing up treasures in heaven don't earn us anything as far as salvation. They don't earn us anything as far as points with God. God loves us in Christ more than anything. We can't earn any more love. We can't earn any more favor. can't earn any more acceptance. Your storing up treasures in heaven is not this bank account that you are able to, to get good with God on. Christ is the reason you're good with God. So what Jesus is talking about here in this verse, what Paul is saying is that our generosity doesn't earn us merit or eternal life or points with God, but it shows where our hearts are at. It shows where our hope is at. Generosity is a fruit that displays that we are connected to a generous vine. 
John Piper in his book, Desiring God, when he talks about the proper relationship that we're to have with money and and wealth and possessions. He says, the answer to how to lay up treasures in heaven is to spend your earthly treasures for merciful purposes in Christ's name here on the earth. Now the conclusion of this this part of the passage, Jesus says, uh, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And what this is saying is that that our hearts and our treasure, our affections and our treasure, our disposition, our our emotions and our treasure are are locked in together. If you imagine this treasure chest, you imagine your heart is handcuffed to it. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. They're right there. What this is saying is that because our hearts and our treasure are so connected and are inseparable and our affections and our treasure are so inseparable, and like we said in, in this enslavement to, to our masters, that our devotion is with them, our love and our devotion and our adoration and our worship is with those things, he's, saying, he's restating and saying the same thing here. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If our treasure is on the earth which is susceptible to, to, to corruption and corrosion and susceptible to, to thievery and being stolen, then our satisfaction will be stolen. Our joy will be stolen. Our contentment will be stolen. It'll, it'll, it'll wax out. It'll be just as temporary as those treasures are. They're inseparable. As that treasure corrodes and corrupts, so does our heart. As that joy is stolen, as that treasure is stolen and that treasure is taken away by different earthly things, so is our joy. We find ourselves going through this roller coaster of, of fads and different things to find pleasure and ultimate fulfillment in because those things cannot satisfy. Our hearts are locked to those things. But if our treasure is in heaven, then our joy can't be destroyed. Our satisfaction cannot be stolen. Because it is with God, who is the sustainer of our joy. But there, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. God is the sustainer of our joy and the protector of our souls. This is why Paul, all throughout his letters, says that we can rejoice in suffering. That, that Peter talks about they can take away everything from you. And you'll still have joy. You will still have contentment. You will still have satisfaction because your heart isn't handcuffed to your earthly treasures. It's with God. And your joy is with God. We can rejoice in sufferings knowing that they're producing patience and character and character hope. Hope that we will one day be with God and be able to enjoy the ultimate treasure and ultimate satisfaction with him. So this morning, where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? Uh, is it on earth or is it in heaven? Are we being generous because we are, are, sa- are we being generous because we're satisfied in the gospel? Are we generous because we're hoping in God? Are we just being generous because it's just the right thing to do? Just because it's, it's moral? Because, just because like you're, you're looking at what Chris DeRocco said, the, the moral medal. Trying to be a moral medalist to see how much you can give away. Like, like Ryan was saying, that, that external list that you just go off and check things off on. Your, your hope isn't in the gospel. Your hope isn't in God. Your hope isn't in, in Christ who, who is, is the true riches, who is in heaven. Maybe you say, I'm just, I'm just doing these things because it's the right thing to do. I feel good about myself. Where is your treasure? And are we seeing ultimately the implication of this? Or are we seeing this earth as our home? Because ultimately, when we store up treasures on earth, we're saying that this, this is it. You only have one life to live. I'm storing up as much as I can. I'm going to get rich or die trying through whatever, whatever means I can, get, I can get it. And I'm going to sit back like the rich fool and say, you know what, soul, 
We're just going to kick back here on earth for many, for many years and just relax till it's, all, till it's all over. Or our treasure's in heaven. Are we saying my, my eternity will be spent with God? And what I do matters, ma- what I do now matters. How I relate to those things shows, show, determines what my relationship is, how, how I'm connected and, and unified with him. So Jesus moves on and he talks about sight. Verses 20 through to 22 through 23, it says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So Jesus is, is still talking about the heart. He's still going after our heart, but this time he's using the language of, of sight. He's, he turns into this gospel cardiologist to this gospel ophthalmologist. And he's, and he's, and he's looking at, let, let me check your eye. Let me check your sight. He starts off by saying, he's saying that he's using the language of, this, of sight to discuss our perspective and, and how we view our wealth and our possessions. The eye is the lamp of the body, what he's talking about. He says the eye is the, is the way that our hearts are able to perceive, just as the way as our, our physical eye is able to ascertain light and I'm able to see where I'm going so that I'm able to get to what my, whatever my eye is fixed on. So is the same way with our hearts. Our hearts set forth an ambition. It sets forth a devotion to something. And if it's, if it's light that's guiding us, then ultimately it's going to be able to go after that which is the right thing. When he talks about light, he uses it in the same way that he used it in, earlier in Matthew chapter 5. This light that's coming from God, this light that represents Christ, and this, this light that represents, as Colossians 3, setting our minds on things above where Christ is. So the eye is the lamp of the body. It says, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Many of your Bibles, they say, if your eye is single. What that means is that if your eye is healthy, if your eye is whole. Often what, what a lot of, uh, some of the many in scholars and, and commentaries will say that, that they believe this word single has to do with being generous. They say if, the, if your eye is, is, is liberal, if it's generous, it's, if, it's, if it's giving, then your whole body will be full of light. If our eye is singly devoted on Christ, if our eye is, 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 is looking towards him, if our eye is healthy, if it's got one devotion and that's to glorify God, if we see Christ as the good master, if we see God as the, the ultimate treasure, then our eyes is single, it's whole, it's healthy, and therefore we can have the proper perspective in our relationship to wealth. We can have the proper perspective in our relationship to our possessions, in the relationship to the things that we have on this earth. Our whole body will be full of light. And he goes on, and just five observations from, from what it means to have a, a healthy eye. A good eye is single in purpose. It seeks to glorify Jesus. A, a good eye sees God as its supreme treasure. A good eye sees Christ as its greatest master. A good eye is proof that the heart is set upon God. A good eye is generous. It looks to the interests of others rather than itself. So it continues, but if the eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So what is this? He, when Jesus is talking, and noted when he uses terms, and I probably should have said this early, he's using terms that these people understand. When he's talking about treasures in heaven and treasures on earth, he's going through, essentially, like I stated before, the, the, what the Pharisees were teaching about these things. And one of their, in one of their interpretations in, in the Talmud, he gives this example. The Pharisees give this example of, of, of this guy, King, King Manobaz. And King Manobaz had, had all this wealth accumulated up from his fathers and his father's fathers, and he had everything stored up. And so when King Manobaz's father died, 
He went to his family treasury. He went to every, all the wealth that his family had stored up and had made a name for themselves by. And he went around, he just distributed it all. And so his, his counselors, his, his, his people came and they, and, they, and, they, and they approached him and they said, Nobaz, you're spending and squandering all your father's wealth. What's going on? And he says, I, you, 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 you're laying up, my father laid up treasures on earth. But I'm, I'm laying up treasures above, treasures in heaven. And so this is what Jesus is saying here and that these, that when he uses these terms. And when he uses the term good eye and bad eye, it also mentions the same thing of, of, of having a good eye and what, what it means to be generous and a bad eye. Proverbs gives us insight into this by saying that a bad eye is, is stingy. It, it means someone who is stingy. Proverbs 28, 22 talks about a, a man who is stingy hastens towards wealth and doesn't know that only poverty will come to him. So a bad eye is clouded. It's fogged up. It, it can't see because its ambitions and its selfish motives and its desires are clouded in the way it can't perceive light, and therefore it can't have the proper perspective to its wealth and to its possessions. It's clouded up. It, it's unable to perceive true light, and therefore it's deceived. A bad eye, it's, it's independent of God, and it pursues wealth as its God. A bad eye, is, it's spiritually blind. It's in darkness. It can't see the beauty, and it can't see the treasure that is found in God and in Christ. And ultimately, a bad eye is deceived because all these things are, are clouding it up and it's, it's got its selfish ambition and, and its own in, in the way. A bad eye believes that it's deceived and it's in darkness. It believes it can maneuver its own way through life, through the things that it accumulates for itself. So the question for us is, have treasures on earth blinded you from seeing the treasure offered in Christ? And do our ambitions to pursue earthly treasures prevent us from seeing the riches of God's grace and what he has done for us in Jesus and his kindness towards us? Ask yourself, have these, have these treasures, have earthly treasures and, and treasures on earth blocked your vision so that you're clouded, so that you, you think you can maneuver through life, through setting your own course in your own way by accumulating treasures? Or do we perceive light? Do we perceive Christ as being the greater treasure? being the one who, who gives us true light. So just in, in conclusion, we're all, we're all tempted to go after these things. We all have bad sight. We all have evil eyes. We all store up earthly treasures. We submit to cruel masters, no matter what they are, wealth or possessions or, or any other things. Just like the, the song, Come Thou Fount, says, our, our hearts are prone to wonder, prone to leave the God we love. We pursue what we feel will give us identity and fulfill us. And we forget the gospel. We forget what God has done for us in Christ. We build bigger bonds for ourselves and store up more treasures for ourselves, neglecting the needs of others because our, our eyes are bad. And we only see our own needs. As Ryan Burns said the other week, that, that we, we don't give to others. We don't see the proper perspective in being generous because we make ourselves the needy. We put our needs at the top of the list and therefore we accumulate and accumulate and accumulate and fail to see the needs of others. And ultimately what Jesus wants to do in this passage is he wants to do more than just give us good advice. He wants to do more than just, just give you another law that says be more generous and you close your Bible and, 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 and you know, give to the guy on the side of the street or donate to another charity. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want another law. He wants a heart transformation and a heart change. 
Jesus, he, he, he overcomes our blindness. He overcomes our, our enslavement and he overcomes our deceived hearts, not by giving us another law to obey, but by showing us that there's greater treasure, that there's better sight, and that there's a better servitude. There's a lighter yoke. We don't have to pursue these earthly masters. And the, the way he does this is that he embodies his own message. He fulfills the law that he's, he's giving here. He fulfills it for us in our place because ultimately we can't keep it. We're going to store up treasures tomorrow and the next day and we're, we're going to fail. And we need a mediator. We need a savior who will transform our hearts. We need a proper perspective and a proper basis on how to be generous and how to give rightly. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses nine, verse 9. It tells us how Jesus fulfilled this for us. How Jesus not only fulfills it, but also exemplifies it. He says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus, who was, when it talks about his riches here, it's not talking about dollars and possessions and the things that we accumulate here on earth. It's talking about the riches of his glory, the fellowship that he has with the Father and the the Holy Spirit, the eternal joy and eternal pleasure and the eternal happiness that is with God and, and being God and experiencing all that forever and for eternity. Jesus has that and he has every right to hang on and to keep for himself those riches, but he gives them up for your sake and for my sake. He gives them up for, for, and becomes poor. Philippians 2 says he, he didn't see equality with God, something be, to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of his servant. He was obedient even to the death of the cross. Jesus did this for us. He gave up his riches. He was generous. He was generous even when we were rebellious and stingy, not giving to God the glory and thanks which belonged to, to, to him. And Jesus served God in perfect love and devotion while we were enslaved to sin and enslaved to idols and and, and mammon. And so the conclusion is God has given us greater treasure in Christ. And we can rest in this. We can rest in the fact that God has given us this. We don't have to selfishly hold on to things that we think we own, all the while they own us. We don't have to be fearful of of, of, of losing those things because our treasure is in heaven. We can be generous because Jesus has been abundantly generous to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your generosity and that you have given us your son. Father, when we were stingy, when we were devoted to other things, when we were enslaved to sin, you died for us. You sent your son Jesus to live the perfect life in our place and die for our sins. Father, we thank you for this, and we thank you that you continue to transform our our hearts. We just thank you for for what you've done and continue to, to work on our hearts through your word. In Jesus' name, amen.